Welcome to Hellbent for Metal, the podcast that's your illusions, fatal contradiction. I need the action, premonition. I like to thrill you. I am what inspires. Let you explode in a cosmic fire and we'll leave you to work out whether that's a metal lyric or a picket line some high dude said to us in a gay club once. I don't know this one. See, I got a few when not Charlie Roy and I was all proud of myself and then the first thing you do when I'm back, it's all gone to shit again. <laughs> and it's one we did as a camp classic too. It was it was Amaranth from Drop Dead Cynical. I remember that. That's a fucking banger, isn't it? It's a banger, yeah. And that's quite a good piece of um, uh, melody that he's singing there as well. But um, could alternatively just have been something some high dude said to us in a cl- club once, because you know, I've heard like more sensible. I've heard less sensible pickup lines. They're, they're awful pickup lines. They're just useless. No, no. Whenever I get to the point in the night where I remotely fancy going into a club rather than just like a pub or a bar or something I'm already fucking one good so I would never know what anyone says to me anyway or, or, or what you're saying to anyone else I presume also true showing goes very badly sometimes <laughs> that does sound like the only way to enjoy those kind of clubs though right mm. like yeah. I've I've heard some stories of, from like people I know's time in like rural bits of America going into like the only gay club in town and just walking yeah. in just being like oh my fuck I'm not staying here um anyway that's, that's another episode in its entirety this is Hellbent for Metal the LGBTQ plus heavy metal podcast in partnership with Notfest I'm Tom Dare and I have a new microphone so if you think I sound different this week that's why I haven't suddenly just got more manly and defined um well maybe I have but I think that's probably just balding um Oh, and hi, obviously. Uh, and with me, as always, is the man who spent the summer off getting up close and personal with some very mask-type men whose instruments have brought pleasure to thousands. Isn't that right, Matt Rushton? I can't deny. It was a very good time. By, by which I, I mean... What am oh, I... Oh, yeah, shit, I guess music as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you enjoyed yourself. <laughs> Um, th- that was a lot more honest than I expected. I just ex- <laughs> thought you'd blush and say, yes, I was very much enjoying being at music festivals, talking to musicians for a living, rather than just like openly admitting, yay, Europe! Um, I'm, I'm slightly... Um, what's the word? Lost for words there. I was expecting <laughs> me, me to have lo- lots of opportunity to enjoy your discomfort, not um, to have you just say, yes. I've learned the trick now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, oh, but now I've learned what you're going to do. I can write some jokes for, for if you say, yeah, that's true. Um, we're going to begin this week, move on very quickly. We're going to begin this week with another Living After Midnight, because uh, Matt didn't get to do the last one, in it. Uh, this is where we take a look at a piece of queer culture and explain how us being metalheads affected our view on it. And this time we're looking at Sex Education, the smash hit Netflix show set in a British high school that's got more in common with Sunnydale High than either of the places we went to school, and that's situated in a, lang- in a landscape so quintessentially English in the eyes of our cousins across the ponds that everyone over here knows immediately that it was actually filmed in Wales. Uh, the premise is that the sexually repressed virgin, Otis, who is a 16-year-old school student, uh, starts a sex therapy clinic in his school when he's when it's clear the <laughs> the school body is absolutely desperately failing its students. In, is, is, or rather is being failed in that regard uh, and also that he's t- 
turns out to be quite good at it, much to everyone's shock, including his. Uh, that's the non-spoiler version. That's n- there's nothing in there that isn't in the trailers. That's the, like the first page of the the Netflix description, just sassed up a bit. The show immediately won a cult following thanks to its unashamed attitude to sex and sexuality, its laugh-out-loud humour, its tenderness to its teenage characters, played, as is the nature of these things, by adults who are well into their 20s uh, and could never, ever, ever be mistaken for anyone under the age of 21, Uh, and also for its strong LGBTQ plus representation, both amongst its characters and its cast. First thing is first as usual, Matt. What do you think about sex education? Yeah, I think it's great. I also don't really. There's a, there's just a lot that like um, even in sort of this day and age sort of leaves you with your jaw on the floor a bit. I think like season one, I think it was like finding its feet and seeing how far they could go, and then I think it's season two where it opens. Like the first scene is like Otis wanking in the car in a public uh, parking uh, yeah car park, and then ejaculating all over the window in his mum. <laughs> Hashtag like, spoilers, by the way. There are going oh, to be yeah. a lot of spoilers in this. So sorry for everyone who's who that's just ruined the joke for you. Um, yeah, season two that opens like that. I'm like, well, what the fuck is this show? But yeah, it's, yeah. It's really good. Yeah, the, yeah. The, him suddenly discovering that he doesn't like hate sex entirely, and that would is like immediately addicted to masturbation. <laughs> was is not only the sign that the show has gone. Yeah, we can get away with a lot. But it was yeah. also a very, very funny set piece. Um, grim, like, but very, very funny. I think it grows like nicely as well. You know, all the different sort of character developments and you know the themes that they explore. I think it's done in a in a good way and quite a mature way as well. And it's sort of, I think, quite reflective of like the sort of experiences that uh, the you know characters being that age sort of would have. Yeah, it's interesting that although I've kind of said that in, in physically there's like you could never mistake them for actual you know 16 17 year olds at the, the the way that the actors actually portray what they're going through is very believable and it's very mm. believably written. I think it's mostly written by people who have had those kind of experiences or are like genuine sex experts in their own rights. So they're not just people who are who are kind of making shit up to try and get a laugh it's it is done with a some perspective on what he's talking about um I, I have one complaint about it and that is that the end of season three it was just really grim like not in a kind of like all of a sudden they all killed in a, some kind of terrible like columbine style shooting or some ghastly event but just because Everybody by the end of season three, basically, no one likes each other anymore, and everyone's split up, and it's all everyone's like leaving, and you go, oh, that's yeah. a bit sad, isn't it? Like, I don't mind if it's kind of ups and downs, but it was just that season started kind of quite happy, and then kind of yeah. progressively got more and more like depressing. I, I don't expect it all to be like roses and and singing birds of of love and joy, but at least let some of them have like happy endings or at least you know not all the bad endings come at the same time i presume no, it's all going to finish on a high in kind of soap fashion is, is next season the last season did we say i don't know obviously um chuchi gat was in it and he's and he's one of the principal characters and he's going to be very busy being doctor who for the next few years so i suspect that he's if going to have to leave if it's not the last season yeah. i can't see it saying anywhere that it's the last one no it just says it's been renewed for a fourth so yeah Although, 
you don't like Schitt's Creek, do you? Uh, I tr- I tried watching the pilot and thought this was absolutely ghastly and and dumped out. I fucking love that show, and the main writer of that uh, main actor as well, Dan Levy, is joining in season four, which I'm fucking well excited for. Love that man. It's my problem with it is basically that it's asking me to spend lots of time in the company of people that are absolutely ghastly. With the point being that there is humour in their ghastliness. I I can't find humour in ghast I, ghastliness. I just want to. You don't leave. like it's always sunny then. I've seen it, so I've never. Seen, I've no idea. You'd hate it then if, if, if that's your take on that. Yeah, two things that I absolutely despise in comedy, not in terms of how well it's done, just as a concept, are people who are awful and the humour is all found in their awfulness and uh, cringe humour. So The Office can't watch it at all. I just kind of have to run away. It's it's too painful. It's it's really... I, I hate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's partially why um, a lot of... There's various threads of Modern Family that I find absolutely unbearable because they yeah. tend, they've used cringe a lot there, um, and I always although for, like the the ultimate British sitcom is always named as Forty Towers, despite the fact that it's a complete mess in terms of its production and its release and its editing and everything. Um, I, I often find it very painful because you're laughing at someone who is just detestable. And that that's the that the humour is all deriving from the fact that he's he's an awful man. I think I've only seen a couple of episodes of that. That was a bit bit before my time, wasn't it? Although I did like like some others do have them in like on the buses quite a lot, so I have seen a lot of that stuff. Oh, if you like on the buses, then you know, you, we should never trust your opinion that anything's funny. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but that I, I have seen in fact, I think the, my only exposure to On the Buses was the film they made of it, which is like legendary and one of the worst things that's ever been made. You know, absolutely up there with you know Ali G the movie, Ali G in the house. That was it. No, it was <laughs> Mrs. It was Mrs. Brown the movie, which obviously I didn't go and see because it's Mrs. Brown's boys. Um, I, I, I love Sex Education. I think it's really good, and it, it is just the complaint about the end of season three that I have. I, I really love. One that is really fucking funny, and that it remembers if we're going to do try and do comedy, the comedy bit's got to be great, right? We can't just like throw in a few gags and have hope that that is good enough. We're going to actually work on them, is the attitude. Um, I really like how tenderly it treats its characters, and it's it's so non judgmental of, of the people that are in it, particularly in terms of there's a uh, a, a character who I think is introduced in season three, I don't think she's there in season one or two, who is who speaks to a professional um, sex therapist and discusses that she's not sharing any romantic feelings that her peers are. And the um, sex therapist has a really lovely conversation with her about asexuality, basically saying that you're great, there is nothing wrong with you. You're brilliant, and and it's it's so kind of it's not just affirmative. It's not just saying we validate you. It's saying you're wonderful just the way you are, which I think is quite a difficult thing to do well without it being mawkish. But it does it so often, and it's so non-judgmental about its young people, and it's basically trying to say if you act like a good person, like if you try and be nice to other people and you treat people with respect, then 
you're wonderful in and of yourself, irrespective of any of those characteristics. But actually, those characteristics, such as asexuality or being gay or being trans, we're going to celebrate them, and that's that's a wonderful thing. And it's any time there is someone who is negative, they're very heavily judged, and you can see from the way everything's framed that we're supposed to think this person's a shit. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely see it from the writer's perspective that that's how they want you know the sort of watchers to feel but also i always love shows where like the queer characters you know yeah they can have their own storylines and they you know it obviously in this it sort of delves into a lot of sort of aspects of queer life and the sort of struggles and everything but their peers just sort of you know don't treat them any differently it's never like a thing like it's never like oh so and so is gay oh wow it's just always okay cool fine which i like yeah, I think it is worth saying that some of the concepts that are perhaps more recent in terms of people's understanding of them uh, are things that it are still presented a bit as if there is some kind of barrier to it. So there is a non-binary character who's introduced in season three uh, who starts having a kind of romance with someone who's a strength of, ostensibly a straight guy. And it's clear at one stage that he, in a, in as far as sex is concerned, sees them as a girl. To which they go, "No, fuck off, that's not okay." And that there is there's clear kind of. It's trying to say we get that not everyone understands this yet, so we're going to show a character who's ostensibly positively represented, like they're they're portrayed in a way which is likable, but we're going to show them not quite understanding this thing and not quite getting yeah. it. Yeah, and I mean, in that storyline, like the straight guy's development and understanding up to that point is is an interesting sort of journey to watch, I think, as well. Yeah. So it, I think it does it does things well that it's, it's very non-judgmental, but at the same time it doesn't say, all of this is easy and we yeah. should all just understand everything inherently. It says, no, some of this you're going to have to struggle through. That some people aren't going to understand it and going to need to grow into these kind of things, um, which I like a lot. And it, I think the representation is really good. That it, They do it well in that it's not all queer. I don't think every character is played, who is queer is played by a queer actor, but a lot of them are. And I think that, that there's a, an authenticity to them you get as a result, which really helps. And when they have got someone who is um, at least appears from like from what I've read in stuff, because some people keep their personal lives personal, and that's fine. Uh, the, the actors that appear, in, as far as their public information is concerned, to be straight, they tend to be the ones playing char- actors, playing characters rather, who like your gator wouldn't immediately just go ta-da about, right? They're people who could pass. I know that term's horrible. Yes. But you haven't got someone who is a straight... You haven't got a straight man who is camping up and trying to do this kind of really ghastly impression of what camp is like. Yeah. And you haven't got, you know, you haven't got a cishet lady who in 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 private is really girly and really fabulous and long hair they're not doing butch right which would be kind of i suppose the uh, a rough equivalent so i really like that as well i just think it's really weird i think rosie jones is also written for them as well and frankly anyone who who hires rosie jones like just immediately go yeah i like you because rosie jones is fabulous is that 
Rosie Jones, uh, she's from your neck of the woods, she's from Leeds. Um, she's a, um, a comedian who is extremely funny. I, and I've seen do some really like laugh out loud, beltingly belly laugh stuff, but can then switch and be very serious when she mm. wants to make a point. She is a, uh, it's a her description. I think she is a Northern disabled lesbian comedian with banging tits. <laughs> is how she describes herself. I, I, I obviously that's not really my area of expertise, but every time she says that, it, it, it makes me laugh. So I, I keep that in there. Um, she, she, uh, she's uh, very obviously disabled. She's got quite bad cerebral palsy, which limits her mobility in speech. Um, and it's kind of a classic case of disability discrimination is terrible because if someone as talented as that were held back by their disability because society doesn't give them, you know, the, if you pardon the expression, a leg up to and be on an even footing, then you've got one of the most talented comic performers and writers of our generation who would, you know, not be allowed the success she richly deserves. Sorry, I, I go off on one about Rose Jones because I just think she's wonderful. I love her. Um, sorry. I just got on, got on my high horse there about someone I think is great. I do that occasionally. Aside from all that, though, how, if at all, did you think that your view as a metalhead affected your perspective on the show? Uh, yeah, whenever we've done one of these before, I've always had something, but I sort of don't hear, so I'm sort of interested to see where you're going with it. Really? Well, my, the first thing first is that it it is such a not alternative group of characters, by and large, yeah, in that... I guess. We, with there are very very few people there that I say, if it was just your just who you are as a person, you would still be something of an outsider, right? There is the odd one, so there's Lily, obviously, because you know, yeah. if you're massively into like tentacle sex alien, you're <laughs> going to always find yourself a little bit on the outside. Um, and I suppose maybe some some elements of Maeve might, but most of the people who are considered outsiders, as far as the show's concerned, are either people who have totally decided to do it to themselves, like on purpose, um, like Otis trying really hard not to be Mr. Straight-Laced. Yeah. Not because that's necessarily who he is, but because he's so desperate to break out of this very rigid world that he's living in, that he ends up trying to, like, essentially be someone who is much more um, conventional than his his mum wants him to be. Or, I'm trying to think of other people. There aren't really very many. The, most of the people who are quote-unquote outsiders are qu outsiders more because of social constructs, so, social contracts, than because if you put them in a, in a class in a classroom at an age when people are too young to have a, a perspective on that, they would already have been marked as the weird kid, right? So that Maeve is the weird kid because she's poor, essentially. She's poor and she's from a family where there are some kind of social difficulties, yeah. to put it politely. Like, that's why she's the outsider. It's not because actually you put her in a room with people who don't know that and she is automatically the weird kid. She's only the weird kid as a kind of reflex when people stop pushing her because she feels insecure. She's not, it's not like metalers where we're kind of, we don't know why we're the weird kid a lot of the time. We just kind of reach the age of about 14 and we realize we've got there and we don't know how. And we've got this kind of 
we, we've got this music that no one else likes apart from like people who are also considered the weird kid and we've got these hobbies that people think are not cool like i suppose there's warhammer tom but he's like there for three minutes and he's he's, he's not got a character he's just got a name right don't even know what he's like other than he plays warhammer so that it's a very 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 kind of not outsidery group of characters apart from things like their queerness which i go okay but you've got a class full of like people who are it's not selective school as far as i'm aware it's not not private they haven't been kind of cherry picked because they do fit in you've just got this very very kind of i would consider very mainstream group of people and seeing a room like that and not seeing us very well represented in it was kind of annoying not even us just like alternative subcultures in general yeah was kind of i did go mm, not so keen on that um i did really object to them having what is supposed to be a cast of 16 17 year old characters and their tastes and interests appear to have essentially been the tastes and interests of a gr- a writing room of writers who are in their 30s and 40s. Like Otis doesn't appear to like any music written a b- after about 1986. And no one else really seems to... There's no one who talks about music that I've never heard of, right? That's real, anyway. It's yeah. all music for people who have already been through adolescence and have now got a very good sense of who they are as people. Yeah, no, I've never really thought about that, but you are, I think, right on all of those points, really. And it's it's very it's very bright, isn't it? Like, yeah, there's no, like, even sort of, there's no, like, dark clothing or anything like that. Like, you've got characters like Adam, who is a more sort of, like, introvert and sort of keeps himself to, to himself, but, like, that's obviously for other reasons rather than he's, you know, a metalhead or anything like that. You've got me, who, like you said about, and sort of has the look a little bit, you know, has the sort of quilted hair, has the piercings, all that sort of stuff. Looks alternative, but it's never really anything other than that. There's no sort of sense that she's remotely sort of one of us. And it's all, like, I think a lot of the queer characters are quite stereotypically queer. and They're types, aren't they? Yeah, and I'm not sure, you know, obviously sometimes it does, but a lot, I think... I think probably more so than people who like sort of normal music. I think in metal, if you're queer, then it... I'm not saying that, like, the metalness sort of overtakes the queer part of your identity, but I see less queer metalheads that are really camp, for instance, than I would do, I think, in, like, other sort of subcultures or all the mainstream. Yeah, it, it's def- it definitely feels like there's still a certain amount of like pressure to conform to one or the other right yeah like it's that it's it's very difficult to walk into a queer space dressed like i am now you know in a, with a long beard and a bolt through a t-shirt it's quite difficult to walk into a, a gay bar and not get looked at dressed like that yeah even no, if exactly. it's quite an alternative gay bar and at the same time if you were to like pluck someone out of a gay bar in leeds on a saturday night and and drag them into a into a metal bar i think you might they might get some funny looks if they walked into trillions for example so you're always kind of there's it doesn't feel like the two are necessarily comfortable bedfellows yet there are definitely people i've seen trying to like say no fuck that i'm going to be both at the same time to which i say i applaud you more of this stuff um 
but I think yeah, like, I mean, obviously that was like the podcast <laughs> when it came about. Obviously, before I joined, like I, I well, before the podcast was a thing, obviously I was like just listening to it as a fan for the first couple of months. But I, when you started it, like when you even had the idea on Twitter, I was like, huh, there's fucking more of us. <laughs> you just do not fucking see it very often. Yeah, and it's a lot of the people that you do see tend to have a link to the to the hardcore scene, which like queercore yeah. is its own thing in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, there are uh, there's, there are some. I have seen some people who are going, no, fuck you, I'm going to be absolutely camp as hell and fabulous, and I'm also going to be metal as fuck. And th- that's really cool. I think that's probably going to come a bit late for me. Like the, the, What I'm hoping with HBFM, really, is that people who come after me have the confidence to like go way further and to be way more like foot in both camps and make, and just kind of kick that barrier to pieces but i i i can't ever imagine myself wearing like a really like sparkly pink napalm death t-shirt it just mm. it's not me i'm a bit too gumby i've, I've kind of i was i got too comfortable in in that like camp before i became a little bit too that was before that became a little bit too much part of my identity to start saying actually i'd like to do the other thing as well also because i tried like there was a brief period where i've like flirted with the idea of being quite a lot like brian molko from placebo and realized it did not suit me at all and i was incredibly uncomfortable in it and <laughs> just went let's not do that and i think the whole kind of the kind of gothy queer thing i could have like in i could have felt that that was my way to be, have the feet both camps except i tried it and although i like admire it enormously and i look at that and think you're so cool and i still look at brian molko and think you're so cool even if the tash was a mistake sorry brian um still love you um like i i kind of i look at it and think it's cool and the idea of it being on my person just it does not work yeah no i sort of get that because like myself i only get like super camp when i'm pretty fucking hammered and at that point I don't really. Oh, really? Fuck off, Tom. <laughs> at that point, I don't really want to listen to metal. I'm like, you know, I'm too camp at this point. I just want to listen to fucking pop music and like cheesy shit from the eighties. Bring right. on the gargoyle! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, that does that kind of does affect the the way I view the show, though, because it's it is it does feel very much like the the queer people fit into much more easy to identify boxes that they they f- don't really kind of like i know that we do need more representation of characters like actually no I was, eric i think is brilliant i wouldn't change anything about eric i think having that character in that from that so from that background and in that role within the plot i think allows you to represent a bunch of things that are incredibly underrepresented and do it in a way that I think is way more authentic than a lot, a lot of the alternatives you could have done. So I wouldn't touch that. I do, though, think that there are quite a lot of the other queers. You go, well, there was an opportunity there. You could have done something that was a little bit less like of a type and, and kind of stretched the views. But that's coming from such a niche viewpoint that I'm sure that that kind of thing would never get past these a script meeting for a yeah. a mainstream aimed political well 
obviously it's aimed at an adult audience, but other than the fact that it's it's eighteen requires a certain open mind, mm. a certain amount of open mindedness as regards you know seeing you know, someone jizz on a wood a windscreen. Um, it's that we would never get past the script meeting. Yeah, I sort of feel like that's the case with like the metal stuff as well, really, because like, I think you have to be quite far in that world to sort of even like think about that sort of thing. And like you know, even even myself, I didn't you know really think about anything from that perspective until you've just said it. I think you're like way more metal than me <laughs> as a person. So. Well, I I swear it's because I look at it and go, the people I was friends with at school aren't in this school. Yeah. It's not just that I'm not there, it's none of the people I went to school with and was friends with are really there. And I include both people who are metal and people who are not. And it's, to me, is one, that in the way of these things, they're all terribly good looking, by and large. Oh, I know. It's rude. Yeah, right. It, like the, I'm, It's partially because they're all in their 20s as well. So, it, of course, to us, they look... They're not, like, spotty teenagers still growing into themselves. Yeah. You know, Part of the reason a lot of people I went to school with weren't having an awful lot of sex at this particular point in their life was that most of us were you know, not the attractive adults we grew into, right? Like, there are people who I remember like leaving school at 18 and thinking, oh, you know, very nice person, but if I never see their face again, it's not like I, will f I feel the world is, like, less attractive and then did run into them years later and went, when did you get hot? <laughs> Why is that allowed? Um... Whereas this is like a, a school full of attractive people in their mid to late twenties, which is not entirely realistic. But also, just that the, the, and maybe it was just because I always ended up gravitating towards towards people who are a little bit different. But the kind of the the variety of kids that I knew at school and was very close to aren't there. So there aren't the metalheads. There aren't the like the drama kids who are like really into the theater and really want to kind of do that seriously and wish that for an opportunity to do it and that that actually has kind of men made they they they're ostensibly like the cool kid type but because they have this thing that they're really passionate about that is not really cool they're you know wanting to be in a musical when you're 17 if um, particularly if you're not a gay boy is going to have a load of your peers go do you really do you okay that's very nice for you right they would end up finding themselves slightly as outsiders and you kind of go how did that happen you're like completely normal but you just have this thing like those kids aren't in it really the only what the only exception is lily who i go yeah. yep I remember you. Not necessarily. No, I didn't actually know someone who wrote tentacle porn at age sixteen, but I I went to school with people who had like the passion for weird art, or yeah. for instance, or weird literature and stuff like that. It's people who had kind of. I didn't actually know anyone who was obsessed with H.P. Lovecraft, but I had. I knew people who were into weird fiction. Weird spoke with a Y, right? And they're just not in the show. It's too mainstream. And they, the, we, the kids that I went to school with, never seemed to be represented in. Schools. Maybe my school was just a lot more odd than I thought it well, was. I was going to say that's sort of does sound familiar because like there were no metal kids in my school like at all. So that might have been you know why I sort of didn't see that because like you know it's not just like I had no friends that were metal heads. Like there was fucking no one. Mm, that's interesting because it, it, metal is usually like I grew up in Southeast London. It's metal is not like 
a really a London thing. It's like if you go out to the provinces in the UK, you see way more metal shirts around than I ever saw growing up. Like I, I remember the, seeing this kid who used to walk in the opposite direction to school to me. So he would must have been going to sixth form college because when I was about fourteen, and I saw him walking the opposite direction every day, and he always had an AFI hoodie, and that was the most metal thing that I saw going to school every day. Mm. But I like moved out to the provinces, and every, all the fucking time I see metal shirts. And did mm. when I lived in Cambridge as well. So I don't know why that is. And your school is a lot bigger than mine as well. So it's like knows. 2,000 people, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whereas I think my senior school had 500 people. So you know, there you go. Anyway, we digress quite badly. Um, don't get me wrong, it, I, I still love the show, but it, I always feel that with shows like this, like I always kind of watch it and go, but where are we? Where are people like me? I don't know. Maybe I'm just too weird for I'm certainly too weird for Netflix, but you know that's that's not saying very much because like you know you, the only weird Netflix that are into are like scary weird, right? Like it's either serial killers, really grotesque sex offenders, or um, Joe Exotic, right? Yeah. That's that's what Netflix is interested in. If, if you're not one of those three things, we, you know we want normals only, please. I think that's enough living after midnight for now, though, uh, because after all that talking and uh, seeing it's it's after midnight, should we have some cocoa, Matt? Bloody cocoa. We'll put some rum in it. <laughs> we stride with the confidence of Eric Effiong in massive boots into the hate crew gay bar. Uh, that's with Eric in boots, not us. I, I can't walk in those things. I fall over. I have a balance thing. Um, you know what's going on here, so let's just crack on. Uh, Matt, what have you got for us this week? I got the new album from 156 Silence. It's called Narrative. Um, I, I was going to ask you if you knew this band, because I thought you quite liked them, but you told me you don't, which is sad. Um, so Spoilers! Don't tell us what goes behind, behind the scenes. <laughs> um, so I only ask because like, I have to re- write them down before yeah. we start, so I can like remember who they are at the end of the show. Sorry, carry on. So they, I think I got into this band through Code Orange because I think they shared like a rehearsal space or something with them, um, or at least used to. Um, <clears throat> and you can definitely hear their influence on it, which for me is pretty much always going to be a good thing. Although having said that, there is like too much of that around these days. Um, it's one of those things that like everyone's fucking talk on it's like yeah let's calm down a little bit but these guys and they have got quite big so you can see why there are quite a number of people who want to steal what they sound like yeah anything sure. that's big and good is always going to have its like rip-offs yeah for sure and like it's not you know this is nowhere near a straight rip-off but there's just like there's a good few influences that you can really hear um it's somewhere between metal and hardcore but it also has these sort of like posty sort of bits where it goes all shimmery and stuff when it's quite nice and there's like a lot of you know there's a few cleans over the album there's like a lot of nice sort of acoustic guitar work some yeah just some like nice flourishes overall the album flows really well like i I don't know how to say this well it sounds like a bad thing but it's quite one pace like there's not much like most of the songs have a similar like his vocal style for instance is very uh distinct it's like a sort of yapping sort of style which i am sort of well into you know it's it's weird 
That's um, possible. I'm going to have to listen to this now. <laughs> it's good to work out if that's like the best adjective we can come up with because that doesn't yeah. sound like a compliment. No, I know. Like most of the things I'm saying don't sound like a compliment, but I fucking love it. It's sort of you know, it's like 43 minutes and it just flies by because it just sort of transports you and it has this vibe where and it's quite, I don't know, it's like a really emotional album. You can hear a lot of what especially you know the vocalist is sort of putting into this and i don't really know still at this point like how it makes me feel like how it resonates with me on an emotional level i just know that i fucking love it and it's just like i got this album when i was away and put it on like a hotel room one day and i got like two songs into it and i was like no nah, this is not happening because like, i just i needed to like, i couldn't do all the stuff whilst i was listening to it i think it like demands your sort of full attention you just get like lost in it i think so i'm well into it so when you say it's kind of one pace, do you mean ge- genuinely it's kind of it doesn't feel like it changes tempo throughout the whole thing, or do you mean more it's kind of it's got that thing that Mas- that Amen Ra used to have up until like they kind of they went off piece at the end of Ma- Mass Five and never came back that where it, they kind of they would have the very quiet bit, very soft bit, very slow bit, and then they would just come in with the kind of pounding, relentless thing, and. And you'd kind of get that for fifty minutes, and that would be the album. Do they? Yeah, is it like more like that? That's a pretty good comparison, I think. Yeah, it's like there's a lot going on in each song, but they all sort of do the same thing. I don't know how I can talk about this without sounding like I don't like it because I do. I fucking love it. But I mean, some bands just do that. Like some bands, you want the same thing from. You know, Clutch, Slayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like that's not a bad thing at all. Um, I like the first album. I, I do think this is a massive progression. And like, like I said, the guy, I'm interested to hear what you say, what you describe his vocal style as. But there's also like this really sort of heavy, like gutter, guttural sort of, it's mostly used in the background, but it's a nice contrast. Um, which oh, is, it's like overdubbed, is it? So you've got two-tone vocals at the same yeah, time. Yeah, sort of thing, yeah. But the, it just like the whole vocal sound really sort of urgent as well. Like he sort of needs to get it out, which... I like it. You definitely could have phrased that one better. <laughs> oh, come on. You know what that sounded like. Um, so, when you say it's kind of, you kind of lose yourself in it, what kind of lose yourself is it? Because I'm guessing from the sounds of it, that's not kind of, it's not like those black metal albums where you just get hypnotized into this kind of sense of reverie. And it's not like um, Cult of Luna where you can you've been transported into some sort of, sort of nightmarish dystopia of like emotional pain or or something like that. What's it actually like to be lost in? I don't know. I guess it's sort of quite cathartic because you sort of get through it and you know, sort of, you know what's going on. It's like, it's not like it's background music. It's not like your attention is sort of diverted anywhere else, but then it finishes and you're like, how how has that been you know nearly 45 minutes like it seems like i only just put it on a couple of minutes ago you sort of just like float away on it sounds like the most pretentious thing in the world but pretty much feel like you know what i mean i think i I sort of do i'm just kind of trying to i'm trying to imagine how that happens with a record that sounds like this and what that might be like because my experience of listening to this this kind of stuff is that it's very it tends to be very visceral and you're very much yeah. in the moment and you're you if anything you become very very aware of your surroundings and that that's why it's often cathartic is that it's 
very intense and at the end you're kind of exhausted but you're kind of mm. you know you're glad you did it but you're done you know it's like a um you know a, a, it's like vigorous exercise that you actually enjoyed right it's like uh, well it is, now yeah. i'm knackered and i'm done with it but at the end of it i'm kind of i'm glad i did it because i've got that nice rush of endorphins but i wouldn't ever describe that as losing yourself in it that kind of record mm. whereas this it doesn't sound like that so i'm interested to know what it's yeah. how it's doing that uh, yeah i don't know it is really intense and it's you know that there are like different parts like there are massive breakdowns the like i said the sort of more stripped back passages because like he's still doing the same vocal style but you could have phrased that one better as well what no come stripped on back passages oh, fuck me. oh shit um he's still doing the same vocal style it's, so it's not like it's you know, this ain't some fucking metalcore album where it's like, you know, a heavy verse and then like a massive clean, like big chorus. It's not like that at all. It's just everything's like really stripped back. But there's like, there's like a load of nice effects going on as well. A load of nice sort of lead guitar lines. Yeah, it's, it's, I do think you like this. Like, I do. I can't, I'd be surprised if you sort of don't like this at all. I mean, unless that vocal style is literally sounding like a Yorkshire there Terrier that's angry, that, I, then yeah, that might, could but, be that might annoy. But, but I'm certainly in terms of the, the the way you're selling it, it sounds very good. My kind of um, my question is to the ex the extent to which it's something that they can turn into something more distinctive, so you can kind of you don't on album three you don't compare them to Code Orange anymore. Because the problem with Code Orange is not that Code Orange aren't bad; it's that it's if you sound at all like them, it's very difficult not to hear that yeah. and get, think Code Orange because that's such a uh, a, a recognisable sound now, the and it's a particularly a sound that's been done so bloody well. Like Code Orange have done, have done some absolutely yeah. amazing music. So that any comparison to them is is not always a long term healthy thing. It might get you more no. fans at the start, but it can quickly become oh, it's another band that's like sound like Code Orange, and or it's a band that you know needs more of their own identity. Do they already have that? Or is it the kind yeah. of thing that you're thinking, I would actually like them on album three to go further away from that and develop more on this line that they've got for themselves? There are Code Orange elements in here, but like they don't have like the electronic stuff. They don't have like the you know panic calls all over the place. But what I do think they need to do on album three is they do need to add more to their sound because this is great and I'm fucking loving this. But it's one of those bands that you don't just want them to do the same thing again. Like they need to expand i think but i definitely think they have it in their locker because there are a few bits over here where it's like hmm, if you expanded on that idea you know this could be a really cool like even you know song in its own right or something make the album a bit more i guess dynamic so do that you like do what amon ra have done and vary your pace a little bit and say yeah, we're gonna... sort of said about amon ra because it was not, not obviously musically not the same, but like in terms of yeah, their progression and sort of what they do per album, I can definitely see them being a band like that. Yeah, because there, there was some when Am and Roll were a great band, but compare them, compare their earlier stuff to what they sound now, and you just go, well, they're a lot better. <laughs> but they yeah. were very, very good, and yeah, now yeah, they're sure. one of the bands, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, um, well, <laughs> hopefully we'll be sitting here in a time in the future talking about how they have released, you know, their equivalent of a you know, a Mass Six or. Can't even remember the Dedern, that was the last Dedern, album. Yeah. Uh 
Da-da. Sorry, I still think that's a. I still <laughs> like that joke. It's it's cheap, but it's it pleases me. Uh, anyway, narrative by one five six silence has been added to the jukebox. My pick this week is on the old side for what we do here, but there's two good reasons I'm bringing it in. So fuck it. Uh, the first reason is that it's a really good example of how you should always be willing to give bands another try, uh, unless it's Aelstorm, when fuck them. Uh, so, secondly, because I've been absolutely losing my shit to it and really want to talk about how great it is. And it's that's all that really matters. We're not a reviews podcast, so well, no particular needs to justify it any further. Uh, if you want reviews podcasts, there are fucking shitloads. Go and find some. Um, now, I've not really ever been a Cave-In fan, and I think that's because I've not really given them as much time as I should, rather than because I heard something that I disliked, which is entirely on me. There are plenty of people whose taste I respect enormously uh, who are absolutely fucking obsessed with them, and Mm. as a result, I have no fucking excuse, really. Uh, But, you know, judging by how much I've been spinning their new album, Heavy Pendulum, which is what I'm putting in the jukebox, uh, this is a serious case of, whoops, uh, I'm going to make no description of what they sounded like before, because obviously I'm not exactly best placed to judge, but Heavy Pendulum is that kind of slightly proggy, slightly space-rocky, very groovy metal that's on that border between uh, sludge and post-metal, where it's kind of a pointless exercise in semantics to split which side it falls into or even if it's both i don't care it's just good um and of course it's it it, it's got very melodic quite high tenor vocals with the odd roar which i think the obvious comparison is something like mastodon but the vocals are so different that i wouldn't make that comparison the song structures are very different to any of the mastodon records and so on and so forth and also they're they're comparatively old compared to mastodon so i kind of don't want to make comparisons to any of that savannah sludge scene but that would be the 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 lazy comparison to make but i'm not going to do it um and it sounds a million bucks because their mate from converge kurt Ballou, has produced it and he knows his way around a studio quite well now um in short it's absolutely thunderous and it's bloody great and i'm listening to it enough that i think i actually might have a problem and need some help uh matt you must have heard this one right I have heard it, yeah. I don't get it. Cave In, like, this album is, like, well high on a load of my friends' like albums of the year list. So I'm, like, it's, I've tried... it's definitely going to be high on mine, I can promise right. you that. Yeah, I've tried a lot, and it's like it's the same with Cave In before. They did do one album, which I really liked, I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, the new one, like, because they're a band as well, like, on paper, I should definitely like and i know that's you know not always how it works but like a lot of their you know a lot of the bands that people say sort of are influenced by or have influenced them i fucking love but yeah it's just it's not really happened with them as much as i'd want it to um this is a very long album as well right it's like fucking 80 minutes long i was hoping you weren't gonna bring that up because yeah yeah it's 70 minutes long it's too long it's I okay yeah, that's what i was gonna ask you about Oh, I would much like. I I genuinely have to listen to it in two goes most of the time. Oh, interesting. It's I would genuinely prefer two records, not just right. side A, side B. I would have liked half now, half in six months. Yeah, yeah. but well, fuck this, it. This is what I was going to ask: is like, is it one of those records then that like couldn't be condensed? It would just be better split over two. Like, is there any songs that you'd actually like remove, or would you think that that would affect the listener experience? Uh, I wouldn't. Well, 
there are songs that we I mean, pretty much anything you take out would affect the listening experience, but there's nothing in there that I think, well, that's flab. Yeah, like, it's really good. Like the only bits that could you could kind of say trim here and and snip there would be, it would still be too long. <laughs> it would be like sixty six minutes rather than yeah. Than that. And there's some bits, some effects, and some more, some um, noise that you could cut it and just make it shorter. But I think you'd probably make a worse album out of it. Um, I mean, it's possible that it's maybe it's an album or an EP, and an EP would be a better combo. I don't know, but it's. It's not an album that is kind of the about the effect overall. It's not like a concept record, right? Where you just have to kind of slip your way into it, and you've got to experience the whole thing in one. It is a, it's a set of songs, as as far as listening to it goes. Whatever they intended might be different, but it's, from a listener's point of view, listening to it in one go is kind of a little bit tiring, just because it is there isn't this massive stylistic break from song to song. Oh, it's but it's and there is some there's variation, but it's not like every song is completely different. It's it's not crack the sky, right? Where you've got like four or five genres between the first three or four tracks, right? It's it's not that. It's caving, and it's variations that of a, upon a theme rather than we're going to completely go all over the place. So it's not the kind of thing where I think you really need to listen to this all in one go or don't try. Right. I'd say break it down because I do. There tends to be a point midway through where I go, I need to pause now and we'll like, I don't know, watch something on YouTube or something for five minutes or go and you know, make a cup of tea or do something else quintessentially British and then come back and finish the rest of it. And the, at no point do I think I don't like this song, I want to skip it. Mm. And there are songs really near the end, actually, that are fucking great that I wouldn't cut. I just... I think Heavy Pendulum Part 1 and Heavy Pendulum Part 2 would have been more enjoyable. I always think that with albums. Though. Like, it's, I swear, I don't know why in the era where it's so much easier to release stuff digitally and then do the, and then kind of at the end of the process say, right, and now here's the very expensive gatefold that pays vinyl that you know includes all of it that pays for it. I don't get why people don't do what System of Down did 17 years ago and say, right, we've got too many songs, we don't want to cut any of them, they're all really good, so we're going to have Mesmerize and Hypnotize. Because yeah. that was just, as a, as a buyer, that was, a, like, okay, it was more expensive, but it's much more enjoyable. I enjoyed the albums much more as a result. Like Green Day, when they did Uno, Dos, and Trey a few months apart. Yeah, like I've listened to those. Um, <laughs> They're terrible, don't. <laughs> um, the last, I mean, I used to love Green Day, but American Idiot was the last album I bought, and I heard a little bit of the album after that. Went fuck no, never, never looked back. Yeah, um, I want to come back to why Heavy Pendulum is fucking great because th- one of the things that I think is is really brilliant about it is that it sounds so fucking heavy, but so, the vocals are so melodic for most of the time. Like there are some more melodic songs, sure, and the title track's pretty melodic, but they're like when it wants to be aggressive, it can be really aggressive while still singing. And any mm. band that can do that, I'm going, yes, I am totally with this. Because actually that's really hard because it can be very easy to like not have the vocals fit in with the guitars or vice versa. I mean, one can sound out of place to the other. The the thing that I really love is that it, it sounds like a coherent thing. It's, it's obviously a band that's been mostly been together for a very long time. And so they know each other very well, and they know what they're doing with you know instrumenting 
with each other and how the vocals fit into it. And it's, it just sounds like this kind of coherent thing that's driving at you and really grabbing you and making you go, yeah, come on. Um, not necessarily with that accent. It's got an enormous amount of groove for something that is this like furious and sounding like it's thrashing around and having a absolute riot. And it's not exactly fun, but it is quite fun to listen to. Like it sounds like serious music, capital S, capital M, right? It's it, it's very, very, very Roadburn. If you want to know what Roadburn Festival sounds like, listen to this album because it's roughly that. Um, but at the same time, I think it's a bloody great time to listen to it. I, it sounds like serious music played by serious people who take music seriously and consider the music they're making art. But at the same time, you don't have to kind of sit there and stroke your chin to at all. Quite the opposite, in fact. It's music that is there to be enjoyed. But if you want to dig see, dig deep and you know stroke your chin and think, hmm, what's it all about? There is something to it. It's you know, it's substantive. And like, I, there's nothing I hate more than art that takes itself very seriously and is utterly unenjoyable. This is oh, I'm doing it because it's art. I don't want. I don't care if anyone enjoys it. Well, okay, but I ha- I have to listen to it. <laughs> like, if if you're putting it out there for me to listen to, I would quite like it to not be incredibly like difficult to enjoy at all. What I would like is for it to be stuff that you've taken really seriously and is art, and for it to be actually an absolute pleasure to listen to and it to have meaning to me the moment I listen to it. And this does. I do just kind of... And for one, that it hairs out the traps and the first song is absolutely raging and you just go, oh, fuck yes, pretty much straight away. And that it was, it was why I think I keep going back to it because it hits you so early that I am just going, yay, really quickly. Mm. And that it's... You're, the, if you're if the first impression is that and the, the last few songs are brilliant as, uh, and in very different ways so it kind of leaves you on a very good impression it, it uh introduces itself in a very good impression that's the kind of album that i find myself going i need to listen to this again very soon um and just kind of getting i want to listen to this now when i'm thinking what's to listen to now and it, it, it's why i ended up listening to this shit loads of times it's definitely something that I'm going to go back to as well, like, still, because it's one of those albums that I feel will click with me. Like, the, you know, there's quite a few of my sort of, you know, bands that I really like that I just didn't get for ages and ages, and you keep going back to them because there's something there or because, you know, you feel like you should like them for whatever reason or your friends are telling them or whatever, and then it suddenly clicks, and it's like one of the best fucking things. And then you've yeah. got like, their entire discography to go through, and it's like, oh yeah, I really fucking like this band now. And I sort of feel like Kevin might be a band like that for me. Yeah, and the reality is that we change as people, right? We are not like yeah, exactly. fixed at a point in existence where we are never adapting. There are th- stuff that we can go, no, nah, that's not for me, and then a few years' time go, actually, because yeah. my circumstances have changed and my perspective on the world has changed a bit, and that I'm not quite the same person, then I don't have the same opinions all the time. Um, and that might be the same with Kevin. It's possible that's what's happened to me. Either way, Mm. Heavy Pendulum by Kevin is fucking great and it's been added to the jukebox. And while we will have more new music for you for it next week, uh, for now that is time at the Hate Crew Gay Bar.
We finish as normal on a camp classic. This is where we take a work of metal that spoke to us as queers and explain why. Uh, and this week, Matt's tried to make me look old by nominating Justify Me by Skywalker from their 2021 album, Late Eternity. Uh, first things first, as usual, Matt, because uh, this was your pick, I will um, not ask you what you think of it. It's obvious you like him, otherwise we wouldn't have nominated the song. But what makes Skywalker great for you? Um, I don't know. I don't really know what about <laughs> <laughs> you say I like it. I don't know, do I? Maybe. Um, I... If you don't, you've, you're bloody stupid because you've made yourself listen to it. Yeah, no, so I I think discovered this band. I think they're Czech, and I think I discovered this band at a festival in Hradek uh, Kralovy um, a few years ago. That's and they easy were... for you to say. <laughs> Mate, it took me so long to learn when I was going over there. Um, and like, I'm pretty sure they were a hardcore band. And then I'd not really listened to them for ages, and then, like you say, this, this song came out last year. And I don't really know how I found it. But I sort of listened to it, and just, like, instantly, I was like, oh, fucking hell, this is a very, like, lyrically, there's, like, pretty much everything. Um, and, yeah, I sort of, like, this is, you know, it's very, just quite formulaic sort of metalcore musically, uh, which is very much not really my thing. But I guess sort of because of the lyrical nature of this song, I sort of give it a pass, and I'm like, oh, yes, it's really nice, isn't it? <laughs> So that literally you listen to it because of the uh, of the, the themes rather than necessarily because you knew the band already and went, oh, hang on. Well, no, like I said, I didn't, I didn't know that the song was about what it's about beforehand. I just like... Right, okay. Just, like I said, I knew the band, and, but I don't remember how I found this song. But, you know, here we are. But you did, and here we are. Um, I mean, I can't imagine you liking it on a musical level. Well, I wouldn't say I dislike it. I just think it's... There's a, it's not kind of. I'm about ten years too old to really like it. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that if if someone my age likes it, people start going mm-hmm, okay. And it's the it's the um, it, you've become Steve Buscemi from the Hello Fellow Kids yeah. thing, right? I, I that's kind of that's not really me. I also think there's a a, a like. There's a vocal style that's developed in hardcore over the last 20 years that I go, hmm, that's not really the hardcore I grew up with, and I, I'm still like listening to sick of it all records. I, my, I could have kind of done without the harsh vocals, I think, which oddly, in that I kind of go, I would much rather like, I'd much prefer rather, um, the kind of the old school style punk singing where it's kind of harsh but it's still singing. Yeah. than I would kind of the melodic bit, the hard bit, the melodic bit, the hard bit. Um, yeah. The melodic vocals I actually really like. I think they're, they're good. But I could kind of... Yes, this is the guy in the death metal t-shirt saying, I didn't really need the harsh vocals. <laughs> um, I th- I thought it was fine. It, it It is a bit... It is just kind of... I'm aware there's a, a generation gap that I'm well in danger of falling into if I start talking about it in a nice way and we'll start looking like not just a Steve Buscemi meme but I'll, there's a touch there'll be a touch of the midlife crisis like all oh, right yeah Tom so so how old are you now and when is when is this significant birthday that we can you know use to mark you as you're old fuck off um so I'm not going to try and fall into that trap now normally i'd ask you if anything spoke to you as a queer but as it's your idea maybe i should 
go first. Do it. Or is actually with this one, I'm not entirely sure there's any point in, in it because well. it's so not subtle that we might as well just say what it is, right? Because well, yeah, I fucked up here because this is a side by side, isn't it? <laughs> well, but I don't. Th- I'm not sure it is because it feels like. Do we know anything about their background? Because this feels more like someone kind of saying less solidarity the queer community than trying to put themselves in either either talking about their own experiences or putting themselves in the mind of a queer person because it is it's the entire lyrical angle i mean you could take them from a number of ways you're certainly people from counterculture or alternative subcultures would see themselves in it but it's it's fairly hard to look at the lyrics and basically impossible to watch the video without thinking it is basically a song about the point of view of a queer person being told how to live or that they've got something wrong with them or that their love is somehow immoral and should be illegal or in some countries is already illegal. Um, um, There's no other real way of interpreting it, right? Not when you really watch the video in particular. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, I I hadn't watched the video until yesterday and it was only then that I discovered that, that, yeah, we're right here. Like, this is what it's about because they replied to one of the YouTube comments and it was like, oh yeah, this is why we wrote it, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, well, that's nice of them, isn't it? I like that. I haven't seen that YouTube comment. The thing is, I'm from the generation of, of YouTube users who've just come grown up with the never read YouTube comments. Just never yeah, yeah. read them. Like, just because in, in when we started using it, when there were, the comments were there, it was pretty much certain that comments would, would be first and then racism. Right? It would be... Yes. That was essentially all you'd say. First. <laughs> I still see it occasionally. I'm just like, oh, for God's sake, you f- virgin. Um, so... <laughs> probably true, though. Probably. If you're, I mean, if you're still, that is the kind of thing where you go, you, we must have grown out of this now, right? Mm-hmm. Like there, are, there are certain behaviours that are acceptable when you're like 17, 18, but after that, if you do them again, you're going to find people going, could you stop doing that, please? Or just like not talk to you anymore. And I swear people who like comment first on those things are... It's the kid who always used to put their hand up in class and say, sir, you haven't set us any homework yet. That is, oh, yeah. is the vibe That's I get. You know what was worse was when it, you had, had someone who put their hand up and said... Sir, are you going to mark our homework? Uh, going to take in our homework when it was abundantly clear that half the class hadn't done it. <laughs> I was in a class once where someone said that, and I swear they were the only person in the class who'd done the homework because that what we'd been asked to do was this ridiculously big thing at a really like busy time of year where we had coursework for fucking every subject, and this was like a completely pointless piece of homework, and it was really long. And so everyone gone, fuck that, I've got a bit more important things to do, like this homework and um, going out and doing something my parents hopefully won't ever find out about. Um, anyway, I've, I've digressed really badly, but you know the type, right? That's the person who, should, who writes first on YouTube comments in, in 2022. Um, so I, d- I didn't read the comments at all, because I know I've learned not to. <laughs> it's just a bad plan. Um, the lyrics are from start to finish about how I, I being the perspective of the person in the song, I'm not going to be judged by your bigotry, which I mean, still is 
is a current issue, right? That's not something yeah. that you can say, well, that's a thing of the past. There is someone who is be just this week been appointed as um, the health minister for the UK who voted against uh, gay marriage and, it, sorry, same-sex marriage or wedding, or weddings gay. There's no such thing as a straight wedding. Um, sorry, straight people, your wedding was really gay, particularly homophobic straight people your wedding was ultra gay um but they've they have said a bunch of anti-lgbt things including things like you know it should be certain things should be personal beliefs and have voted against you know my um <laughs> not sufficiently planned yet wedding being uh made legal right that's that's a current senior minister in the british government so it's not it, we can't just say oh this is a thing of the past when it's someone who is in high office. Yeah, for sure. What an exciting week it's been. <laughs> Some of the other appointments as well. <laughs> yeah, Great. I don't want to get too political, but no. like, <laughs> like when I saw that this morning, I just went, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" It is twenty twenty two, and we've still got people who are have been kind of confidently um, anti queer rights who are being given powerful jobs in elected office yeah. it's been a de it's a depressing time to be to live in britain frankly well unless you're incredibly racist when it's probably great if well, you're yeah. incredibly right-wing and rich then it's been a great week um but saying about it's a depressing time i said last week that this song with this kind of it was like a nice happy one nice positive one i sort of feel like it is because it sort of feels like the journey like of the song is like their journey to pride and to sort of you know like so not just self-acceptance but like to being completely comfortable in yourself and being like yeah this is who i am i'm proud of it and fuck you if you don't like it yeah and i suppose maybe i'm just being kind of pessimistic because it's new but it, it's possible that this is a sign of generational change right that the the it is now becoming so increasingly accepted that gay people are real and that there's, a, there's not something wrong with us, that we're not a threat to you know, civilization. I and mean, that's partly why, right? It's like all the homophobic people 10 years ago who are saying, like, this will be the end of the world as we know it if gay people can marry, and it wasn't. Yeah. And like, if, you, if you were, like, at an influential... Uh, uh, a formative age when that debate was happening and you saw that and you were saying, well, let's see what happens. Well, the world didn't end, did it? So everything else you said was probably bollocks as well. Like that's that may be why it's possible that what we've got now is the last chance for the the really homophobic people to get away with it, because the the people that surround them are the last generation of people where it's it's at all socially acceptable to hold those views. Whereas if you're you were twenty five and held those views, or if you're thirty five and held those views, you'd be politely told to leave. Um, well, outside of very extreme circles, anyway. Um, so, d d are you regretting that this wasn't a side by side? Because I don't think it is. I think it is a camp classic. I think it's too putting them. It's either from the perspective mm. of, or it's putting some putting themselves in the viewpoint of, rather than is saying pride. Yeah, no, I guess yeah, you're right. Yeah, it is them putting the sort of themselves into their shoes. But like, I think they do well. Like considering that none of them are queer, I think they've done they've done it quite well. Because like, oh, none of them are. No. Oh right. 
then they've done very well, yeah, because I was yeah, kind of... I, that's yeah, why exactly. I didn't know, because they judged it well enough for me to go, oh, this all sounds very familiar, <laughs> right? No, exactly. There's a load of stuff which like you'd think you would only sort of be able to relate to as someone who's gone those, gone through those things, but, you know, I don't know, maybe they're surrounded by... Or, you know, maybe they have, like, queer friends or whatever, and obviously they've learned from them. I mean, it, you know, it does... Like, it is... Well, maybe a, they've just got fucking empathy. They're just well, nice yeah. people with good hearts. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, yeah, I was just going to say, like, it is a lot of, you know, empathy, but, like, allyship, like, you know, to write lines, like, one of the first lines is, am I strong, this feels wrong, and no one's ever told me why people get who holds me, it's like, you know, you know, I think we've all been there, like, when you feel that what what you're doing and what, you, what you're being is wrong, but then it sort of hits you every so often, it's like, well, that you don't realise why you think that, and that's what sort of hurts, because it's just confusing. And then there's the line, and can you be the power blooming in me like a flower in spring, be my, be my wings? And I sort of thought that as like the partner that you would potentially get sort of being more comfortable with themselves and sort of getting you to to become more comfortable with yourself and to sort of feel that uh, pride in yourself. Yeah, I think there are a lot of people who can... Uh or who will have had that partner yeah. who was kind of the person who helped, who was just a little bit further along that journey than you and kind of went, I've, I know the way I'll show you how to get there and just kind of gently takes your hand and, and helps you be comfortable in your own skin, yeah. which is, that's like when anyone says, says, Oh, you want to, you know, you want to be influencing other queer people. And it's like, well, not really. We just want to like, Show them that it's going to be fine, and that yeah, they exactly. don't need to hate themselves. If like, if that's if that's influencing, well, okay, <laughs> but that doesn't that doesn't to me sound like a particularly extreme thing. To that I that I like don't want people to hate themselves and think there's something wrong with them because they fancy men, right? That's, oh. Maybe that's just us. Maybe we are just a radical group. Um, but if we are, then uh, smash the system. No, I'm just. I'm not really that revolutionary, which is a shame because at this point we could use one. Um, <laughs> I think before I get too political, that is Justify Me by Skywalker Explained. Uh, we will have another camp classic for you next week when we'll be going somewhere very, very different, both musically and and lyrically, uh, as Evil to Cast Out Evil by Nile will be up for discussion uh, because nothing follows up melodic metalcore like technical brutal death metal. Uh, we'll also either see the return of it in my kingdom queer, if it can happen in time or alternatively, if it can't because people have busy lives and people are a lot busier than usual for some reason at the moment, um, we'll have uh, the return of like the all strokes of the water starring Judas priest. Cause we haven't spoken about them for about 15 minutes and Oh God, do we still have so much to cover and we just need to keep cracking. Otherwise, we will not finish what we've got written down now until about 2028. Um, that, though, is it for HBFM 91. Uh, Matt, this has been rambling and incoherent as usual. It's just me all over. I sort of feel like it's been a bit too upbeat this week, Tom. I need more misery in my life. Well, that's why we've got the death metal for you next week. <laughs> and what will then, by, well, Say, uh, say the misery. Well, there's potentially some talking about knobs as well, but you, uh, you quite like doing that. I'll come back then. <laughs> Fair. If if I'm going to force you, you'll just have to, 
you'll just have to uh, sacrifice yourself for it. Uh, until next week, then, uh, listen to 156 Silence, listen to Cave In, and remember, if we stand side by side, it will get better. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>